For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Lena Kim, and you're listening to Daybreak. Today, we're covering a lawsuit against all eight Ivy League schools regarding athletic scholarships, the FDA's nationwide recall of two eyedrop brands, and the return of two U.S. citizens kidnapped in Mexico. It's Wednesday, March 8th. Freedom of speech on university campuses has been debated and discussed frequently in the past few months. Today, we sat down with senior opinion columnist Mohan Sethi Charity to discuss institutional restraint, institutional neutrality, and the Calvin Report. Can you introduce yourself and your role at The Prince? My name is Mohan Sethi Charity, and I'm a senior opinions columnist. Can you explain the difference between institutional neutrality and institutional restraint? Sure. Institutional neutrality is often viewed with respect to the Calvin Report, which was written in 1967 by a group of scholars and administrators at the University of Chicago with the goal of stating the responsibilities of a university, specifically to promote free inquiry, expression, and speech. And they found that faculty members should be able to express their opinions freely as citizens, but not from their roles and places of power at the institution. So institutional neutrality, generally speaking, would mean that as an institution, Princeton's administration and its departments would not speak out on political or politicized issues. Institutional restraint, on the other hand, has been Princeton's standard over the last few decades. It has allowed for a certain degree of leniency where the administration can choose to speak out on different issues as they see fit to support what President Eisgruber has called the basic tenets of the university. What do you think are the implications of the university adopting the Calvin Report? Adoption of the Calvin Report and, generally speaking, institutional neutrality has a lot of benefits and drawbacks. The benefits have been discussed by my colleagues Matthew Wilson and Abigail Rabier in the past, but generally speaking, they could support a sense of fairness and objectivity within the institution and generate trust and credibility, allowing students to feel like they can speak out on issues, because that's really the goal. However, institutional neutrality also risks shutting down voices of people who historically have not been supported in the university setting. Princeton is a storied institution, and for much of its history, it has not welcomed voices of people of color, of women, of LGBTQ community. And so there has been a certain standard set where the institution is supporting the voices of straight white men. And so at this point, institutional neutrality would be preventing the university from speaking out on issues that are seen as political. One such issue might be an anti-racism statement that the English department put out. Some students have argued that that is a political statement and departments should not be espousing beliefs of that nature. However, when the university has this history of supporting white students and white scholarship, anti-racism statement should not be viewed as a political statement that is going to prevent students from speaking out. Rather, it allows for students, perhaps students of color, to feel more comfortable sharing their ideas and their beliefs within the English department. A similar argument could be made in a variety of contexts. One particular concern has been for LGBTQ youth, where studies have found that when a school is not gender affirming, LGBTQ youth see higher rates of suicide and depression. And so the university should be able to use its position to 
to affirm that all of Princeton's community has a right to be here and to learn and to participate in these debates. Because the basic idea of institutional neutrality would be to allow for these discussions, to ignore the history of preventing students from entering these discussions and from participating in scholarship would be a mistake. Thank you so much. Yesterday, current and former Brown University basketball players filed a lawsuit against all eight schools of the Ivy League for engaging in illegal price fixing by not awarding athletic scholarships. For years, Princeton and other Ivy League schools have agreed to provide only need-based financial aid to students, athletes or not. The plaintiffs argue that this mutual agreement violates federal antitrust law, alleging that many recruited athletes may have lost the opportunity to obtain scholarships that could have covered tuition, board, and other school expenses. The plaintiffs allege that without the agreement, the schools would need to compete against one another to provide the most attractive scholarship offers for potential recruits, which would reduce the net price of Ivy League education for athletes. In national news, yesterday, the FDA recalled an eyedrop brand following the recall of two other brands of eyedrops recalled last month. Esricare Artificial Tears faced a recall recommendation from the FDA because of its link to an antibiotic-resistant bacteria outbreak in India. The FDA posted a recall last Last week of the brand Apotex, a prescription eye drop used to treat glaucoma after finding cracks in bottle caps. And just yesterday, the FDA recalled products from the makers of Purely Smooth because they were not sterilized properly. There is no indication of a link between the recalls. Pharmedica, the owner of Purely Smooth, is advising consumers to stop using the product and to immediately return it to stores. In international news, yesterday, two of the four U.S. citizens who were kidnapped while driving near the city of Matamoros, Mexico, last week were found alive. However, the other two travelers were tragically found dead. According to relatives, the four had traveled to Mexico for cosmetic procedures before finding themselves kidnapped at gunpoint on March 3rd. The two survivors were delivered to the U.S. yesterday in cooperation with the U.S. consulate in Matamoros. Prior to their successful return, the FBI announced a $50,000 reward for the safe return of all four citizens. As of now, U.S. law enforcement believes the Gulf Cartel, a notorious drug trafficking organization, may have been responsible for the attack. However, the motive behind the attack remains unclear. Today, expect sunny skies with a low of 31 degrees and a high of 47. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written by Philip Wang, Mina Abdella, Noel Kim, and me. Sound engineered by Isabel Jacobson and produced under the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 22. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Lena Kim. Have a wonderful day.